First uh, King, chapter 18. None of you are looking for them. Okay, so I will look for. I, I will read it for you. First uh, King, chapter 18. Now, I, this is a nice story and, and a rather long story. So this is just the end of it that we'll be reading. But basically, there was a three-year drought in the land of Israel. There was a three-year drought, and, and things were going from bad to worse. And, and if you are in the desert and you experience a drought, uh, your life is basically at peril. Your life is at risk. And for three years, there was no water in the land. Nothing was coming down. Uh, but uh, there was a man in the land that was known to have done amazing things. And, that was, uh, and people said God was for him. God is on his side, and his name was Elijah. Now, there was a king of Israel, and his name was Ahab. And Ahab, uh, if you're reading Chronicles, it, it basically describes that he had done the wrong thing before the Lord, and boom, things went wrong. That's usually what happened during that period of the kings. If you begin to read that section in Scripture, and it says, and the king did the right thing before the Lord, and the land prospered, and there was good stories. But if you begin the reading of that particular king saying, but he did the wrong thing before the Lord, it's going to be a calamity story, okay? Things are not going to go well. And Ahab was compromised. You see, Ahab had married this wonderful woman called, uh, uh, what was her name? Uh, Jezebel. Remember her? Yeah, she's in the story. Okay, so, so Jezebel was married with Ahab. And, and, and Jezebel didn't have the loyalty to the one Lord God of Israel that Ahab had. Uh, obviously, he was getting his nookies and his recons with, with uh, Je, you know, Jezebel. And, and, and he was kind of committed and compromised with the whole thing. And in several occasions, he did the wrong thing before the Lord because he favored his wife's comments, who was not a follower of the Lord Jehovah, as some would say in the Old Testament. So it was dry, and the things were bad, but the prophets of Baal decided to have a little competition with the prophet of God. And it was a whole bunch of, of, of prophets from Baal. They decided to have this friendly competition. And, and, and the story says that they decided to build this altar. And they were supposed to, write, you know, to ask and sacrifice a, a calf or, or a cow or a bull before their gods, Baal. And hopefully, if they chanted and they screamed, you know, they would come and consume the sacrifice and things would go well. Maybe it would rain. Well, Elijah, who had already an experience and had some, some references with God, he had been with God, you see. He had seen God restore lives. He had seen God bring people back to life. Elijah had seen amazing things. And he knew who God was. And he was comfortable with that. So he tells the prophets of Baal, about 600 or 400 and some of them, because there was another group that joined them, to go ahead and build the altar, you know, put all the wood, put all the stones, and start praying for your God to send the fire and consume the, the sacrifice. Well, the, the, the Baalamites... I'm going to call them, the worshipers of Baal, went ahead and did that and put it all together. And they began to cry unto, the, unto their God, and they began to cry unto their God, and they began to sing unto their God, and they began to have their, their holy whatever in front of their God, and nothing was happening. Actually, um, 
Elijah, who was a little overconfident perhaps in this moment, was taunting them. Hey, go ahead and shout louder. Maybe your God is asleep. Maybe he's busy somewhere else. Maybe he went on a trip and he can't hear you. Shout louder, shout louder. Well, it came to the point where their time was over and nothing happened. The altar was not burnt. And then comes Elijah's time. And Elijah goes ahead and tells his servants to go ahead and get the wood and get the stones and get the calf on the sacrifice. But he's a little confident too. And he tells, go ahead and wet the wood once. Soak it with water. But, but, but uh, do it a second time and soak all the wood a second time with water. Actually, let's do it a third time and let's soak all the wood three times with water. Just in case a little spark flies off, it wouldn't take place. So this is where we catch the story. And verse 36 says as follows. At the usual time for offerings, the evening sacrifice, Elijah the prophet walked up to the altar and prayed, O Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, prove today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant. Prove that I have done all this at your command. O Lord, answer me. Answer me, to, answer me so these people will know that you, O Lord, are God and that you have brought them back to yourself. Immediately the fire of the Lord flashed down from heaven and burnt up the young bull, the woods, the stone, and the dust. Hmm. It even licked up the water in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell face down on the ground and cried out, The Lord, he is God. Yes, the Lord is God. Then Elijah commanded the seas of all the prophets of Baal, don't let a single one of them escape. So the people seized them all, and Elijah took them down to the Kishon Valley, and there they were slain. Then Elijah said to Ahab, go get something to eat and drink, for I hear a mighty rainstorm is coming. So Ahab went to eat and drink, but Elijah climbed to the top of Mount Carmel and bowed low to the ground and prayed with his face between his knees. Then he said to his servant, Go and look out toward the sea. The servant went and looked and returned to Elijah and said, I didn't see anything. Seven times Elijah told him to go and look. Finally, the seventh time, his servant told him, I saw a little cloud about the size of a hand rising from the sea. <laughs> then Elijah shouted, hurry to, to Ahab and tell him, climb into your chariot and go home. If you don't hurry, the rain will stop you. And soon the sky was black with clouds and a heavy wind brought a terrific rainstorm. This is the word of the Lord. 
I'm laughing at it because it is an amazing story. It is an amazing story of faith that Elijah really believed and really was convinced that God was for him. Now, in the last three weeks, I have been sharing a, a teaching about God's presence. God's presence in our life. God, the God that created everything in this world, the God that is the majesty of this world, has actually become present in your life and has become so present in your life that has become almost proximate, very close and intimate. The first week of this uh, series, I was talking about the God that was there and was not silent, the God that was speaking to us in so many ways and in so many fashions. Are we listening was the question that we asked. Then last week we were talking about the God that was ahead of us. Not the God that was behind us, that was to our left, that was to our side. Not the God that has forgotten or was in a different dimension, but the God that is ahead of us. The God that is so ahead of us that he even gave us eternal life that when we didn't deserve it. The God that is so ahead of us that he was even went home to prepare a mansion before we got there. Today I wish to speak to you about the God that is for us. The God that is for us, the God that is for you, and the God that is for me. And that means, are we with him? I'm not going to talk about the God that is a puppet, that is for us, for us to manipulate, that is for us to control. That's not the kind of God that I'm going to talk to you this morning about. I'm not going to talk to you about the God that is an ATM, that whenever you need something, or a 911 God, that whenever you need something, you dial up and, and, and you request, and then you sit and wait and complain if you don't get your response the way you want it, when you want it, how you want it. That's not what I'm going to talk about. I'm not going to be talking about the God that, that many people claim that's out there to satisfy our capricious desires. But that's not the God that I'm talking about this morning. I'm going to talk to you this morning about the God that favors you, the God that graces you, the God that supports you, the God that cares for you, the God that calls you by a new name, the God that sees you and formed you intimately in the womb of your parents, of your mother. That's the God that I'm going to be talking about. This is the God that not only created everything in the world for us. Yes. Did you know that everything that was created was created for us, for our dominion, for our enjoyment, and for us to rule with wisdom? This is the God that I'm going to talk to you about. Are you with him is the question. This is a God that also knew Noah and saved Noah and his family from destruction. This is the God that spoke to Noah and showed Noah rain when no one had ever seen rain before. This is the number one situation here. The first time that human beings see rain, Noah is the one that sees it. This is the God that was for Noah. This is the God that saved Noah and gave a chance to the next generations. This is the God that was also in favor of Abraham, calling out Abraham out of the land of the Chaldeans, Ur, and sending him into a walk, into a journey without a GPS or without any other information, but the presence and guidance of God, God himself. This is the Abraham that believed God and was counted for him as justice. Not only believing in God is good, but our task and what Abraham showed was that he believed God, and today he is known as the father of faith. This is the God that was for Jacob and was for Moses. Moses was freaking out when the burning bush, Moses was stuttering when the burning bush experience was taking place. Moses was filled with self-doubt when he was confronted with that burning bush and the task that God had assigned him. It is in that moment that God said, I will be with you because I am the Lord your God. And Moses also believed God and went forth with a mission 
that God had given him, actually to the point of opening the waters, as we saw, and the people walking in dry land. This is the God that also favored Joshua and helped Joshua to conquer the land. Though things were very grim sometimes for the little tribe of Hebrews, the little tribe of Israelites, they were trying to conquer the Midianites, the Canaanites, the Amidianites, the who knows mites, all of them together. But they were small and fragile, and yet God showed God's power and God's presence for them and God was for these people. This is the God that was also shown to Ruth as Ruth was able to identify and learn God's faithfulness. This is the God of Saul, even though he may have forgotten about it, but this is the God of David and the God of Solomon that helped David expand the kingdom and brought a beautiful temple into existence with his son Solomon. This is the God that actually Elijah and Elisha believed in. This is the God in the story that we just read that was in favor of the people of Israel, the God that decided to be with us because if he is for us, he necessarily has to be with us. You see, this is the God that was in favor of Elijah and even though that Ahab had abandoned God and all the people were confused, they all got the rain. The good, the bad, and the ugly got the rain. This is the God that cares for us. This is the God that shows us that he loves us. This is the God that has decided to show his love for us in his son Jesus Christ. Because he is for you and for me. This is the God that has decided to be your God, your Lord, your sustainer, your provider, and your redeemer. Are you with him? Because if you're not, I invite you this morning to join him. This is the God that is now for new families, that is for old families, and that is for creative ways of families. This is the God that is for citizens and those who are denied citizenship. This is the guy that is for those who are widows, those who are orphans, those who are weak, those who are poor, those who need to restart their lives one way or the other. This is the God that has decided to be your counselor. This is the God that has decided to be your confidant. This is the God that has decided to be your wisdom, your guide, your helper, your deliverer, your defender, your rock, your light, your hope, your joy, your all in all. Are you with him? Because he is with you and for you. You see, God is for us to such a degree that he emptied himself of himself. He became human in the present and became present with us in the person of Jesus Christ. I am now having fun. And if you hang out in the office, you're going to realize that we're having fun because we're already in Christmas mode. Oh, yeah. The stores have nothing for us. Ah, they're behind. We got it because it is our holiday. The other day I saw a, a, a sign that said, please keep Christ on Christmas. Come on, people. That's ridiculous. That is the reason for the season, as another cliche says. But I still remember, as I mentioned last year, that Paris, Paris Hilton was hanging out at Madison Avenue in New York City. You know the famous windows, how beautifully decorated they are in Madison Avenue. And perhaps always on, on 5th and 42nd. But you see the beautiful display. And there was this amazing winter display in the little corner of that huge window in Madison Avenue. There was a, a little manger. And Paris Hilton comes and says, isn't this amazing? These Christians are trying to steal Christmas. 
that tells more of her generation than, than we want to hear. But that is their reality. That is their reality. You see, God is for us, and God is Emmanuel. God is so, he emptied himself. He became human. He became present with you and with me. He walked the streets. He became one of us. He walked with us. He spoke with us. He ate with us. He drank with us. He laughed with us. He cried with us. And he died for us. Notice that to be for us, he needed to be with us. Because if you favor your children, you will be with them. If you favor certain foods, you will have them. If you favor a, a struggling families, you will be with them. If you favor to help the homeless, to help the needy, to help the, the people struggling with mental health issues, people struggling with just issues of life, you will be with them. If you're willing to help the immigrants, you will be with them. If you're willing to help the stranger, we will be with them. Because Jesus became Jesus, who was for us, came and hung out and dwelt with us. You see, that is what God did to demonstrate that he was for us. He came with us. He hung out with us. And that does, did not happen only in history one time. That happens today, may I share with you. He loved us, Ephesians says, Paul declares. He loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice for us as a sacrifice for you and me, pleasing aroma to the Lord. Because to be for us, God needed to be with us. That's a necessary and logical step. To be for us, he needed to offer Jesus Christ as the sacrifice for you and for me. Meaning that Jesus gave himself for us. God honored that sacrifice by raising Jesus from the dead to declare him Lord of all. And Paul reminds us in this amazing section in the chapter 8 that begins, there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ. No condemnation. And in verse 31, he goes out to say, what shall we say such wonderful things about God? If God is for us, who can be against us? Who can be against us? Since he did not spare even his own son, but gave himself up for us, God is for us, people. Are you with God? Won't he also give us everything else? Who dares to accuse us whom God has chosen for his own? Who dares to accuse us? Are you experiencing guilt? Are you experiencing shame? Are you experiencing whatever happened in the past maybe facing you today? Well, God is with you. Jesus is eradicating it. Jesus is taking it away. Are you keeping it alive? God has chosen us. No one for God himself has given us right standing with himself. Who then will condemn us, asked Paul. No one. For Christ Jesus died for us and was raised to life for us. And he's sitting at the right hand side pleading for us. This is the God that is for you and is for me. Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity? Does it mean that we have no faith if we have sickness? Does it mean that we have no faith if we have issues in life? Does it mean that God has, has abandoned us if we experience persecution, hungry, or destitute? Or does it mean that God has abandoned us if we experience danger or threat with death? No. 
despite all these things overwhelmingly, we are more than victorious through Christ. Through Christ who loved us. I'm still reading. I'm adding some stuff in between. And I'm convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Your sickness? No. Your fears? No. Your guilt? No. Your past? No. Your present? No. Your future? No. Because you're with him and he's with you. So what can separate us from the love of God? Neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears nor today for or worries about tomorrow, not even powers of hell that can separate us from the fall of love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. If God is for us, who can be against us? My dear sister and my dear brother, look at the person next to you. Look at the person next to you and please tell them, if God is for you, who can be against you? If God is for you, who can be against you? If God is for you, who can be against you? The real question is, are you with God? Are you walking hand in hand with the Lord? You see, the only thing blocking you from this amazing experience of having this presence and having this proximity with God is not your sin, is not your brokenness, is not your lack of a job, is not whatever you do hiding. That's not what's keeping you away. Whatever is keeping you away, it's not even your disease, it's not even your pain, it's not even your clamor. It's none of that. It's just you. It's just you. Because for God and for Jesus, there is nothing on the way for God to offer his love towards you. God has removed every obstacle. He has taken away every rock, every excuse that you can make up. God will not respect it because God has decided to pour God's love on your life. The only thing blocking you from experiencing God is you. And the only person that can remove you is you. Would you believe that today? Would you like to recognize God is and has been with you? Are you with him? Let us pray. Dear God, we thank you that you have come to live, dwell amongst us. We thank you that you have spoken to us intimately. But we ask you, O oh Lord, to please allow us to, for us to come closer to you, for us to give it up. Give it up so that we can be closer to you. Enjoy your presence. Enjoy your proximity. And know that you are a God for us. Thank you. Through Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.